Do you have a, a, a time in your life, maybe, maybe a moment you recall, uh, a day even, when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Like, I, I wonder if you're able to go back to a place. I, uh, you know, maybe when you think about that moment, you're thinking about a person. Uh, maybe there was an event uh, that you were a part of. Uh, again, just depends on, on what age uh, you were at the time. I, uh, a friend sent me a picture this past week of the evening I was baptized. And uh, I'm that little goober uh, in the center of the photo there, how that guy got married, I, I don't know. But uh, front and center in this picture, I, I was 11 years old at the time. I had made a decision uh, to trust Christ as my Savior just a few weeks before at Lake Springfield Baptist Camp uh, in 1987. And then I was baptized on this evening a few weeks later at Cherry Hills Baptist Church in Springfield, Illinois, uh, a church that, well, was uh, my church family uh, before I went off to college. Now, contrary to what you might be thinking, the guy in the black robe, it's not Jesus Christ. Uh, but instead, uh, Jeff Nelson, who was my student pastor at the time and next to my parents, uh, Jeff played a significant role in my decision to put my faith in, in Jesus, and uh, I love Jeff. He's still a really good friend of mine today and pastors this church now uh, in Illinois that I grew up in as the lead pastor. And not only Jeff, but, but many others who served in the church that I grew up in. Like I was just thinking about some of the people this past week who had a great impact on my life, people like Mrs. McCall and Mr. and Mrs. Larson and Randy and Nancy Pickett and Jeff and Annie Dieselberg, uh, Denny and Shelley Kennedy, uh, Bill and Marsha Roth, and so many others who taught my Sunday school classes, who volunteered in our student ministry, and maybe just were close friends of my parents. And each of these and many others influenced my life. And again, they were all a part of my church family. My mom was born in the church that I spent 18 years in. I mean, we were part of that church, I mean, forever. And many of these same people were, you know, as we talk about community, here at Genesis, as we talk about our impact, uh, as we talk about the type of church that we want to be and a type of church that God uses to reach others, I want you to know it's going to take some time. And it's going to take some time together growing as a family. And I think one of the things we need to fight against in our culture is this moving from one church to another. I want to challenge you that if you call Genesis your church, and as the long as you call Central Indiana home your home, I hope you'll spend the rest of your life with this Genesis Church family, because I think there's something about that longevity of serving together and of growing together and the impact and influence that we can have with others along the way. But what about you? Like, what, what's your story? Uh, how would you describe that moment, that day when you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Like, maybe some of you have got a story similar to mine. You grew up in church. That's just what you did. And so maybe there was a time as a a young kid or a young student that you made a decision. Like some of you encountered Jesus Christ as a teen or maybe while you were away at college. Others of you encountered Jesus later on in life. Maybe still others of you today, I think if you're honest with yourself, maybe you'd say you've spent a lot of time around Christians, you've spent a lot of time around church, but again, if you're honest, you've never made a personal decision for your life, for you, to just trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And maybe that's part of the reason why you're here today. I mean, maybe you describe yourself as somebody that's seeking. You've got some questions, some spiritual questions that you're seeking answers for. If that's you, I want you to know, I hope you know that you're welcome here. And I hope that you know that Genesis is a great church for people with spiritual questions. And so whether that be you or your friends, uh, we just want you to know that you're welcome here. And we want you to know at the same time, too, that our desire for you and our desire for those that would come is that you would encounter the real living Jesus Christ here, and at some point, and maybe even today, 
Like what if, what if today were the day for some of you? You know, that today would be the day that you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and your life changed forever. That's why we exist as a church. That's why we do what we do and why we're doing this series. We're in the, the third week of this series that we're calling The Pathway. Um, basically, the bottom line of it is this, that at the end of his ministry, Jesus gave his disciples and every Christ follower our life's mission. He gave us our marching orders. It's recorded in Matthew 28, uh, starting in verse 18. Jesus took his disciples to the top of a mountain, and he said to them this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go now and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them, this is, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now by the time Jesus shared these words with his disciples, he had already risen from the dead all right, he had traveled back to Galilee and was now days away from ascending into heaven, but before departing, again, he gets his disciples together and notice those words. He says, hey, all authority. And he doesn't say it in an arrogant sort of way, but I think with a humble sort of confidence. All authority has been given to me. Here's your mission. You go make disciples. And that's the mission that Jesus gave to his disciples. It's the mission we believe that he's given to us, and that's why we're able to say that making disciples is God's mission for your life. Uh, helping people come to Christ, uh, grow in Christ, learn to follow Jesus, and that, that opportunity to multiply their life and others, like that's our mission. Those are the orders that have been given to us by Jesus, not just for pastors, uh, not just for those of you that got a little extra time on your hands or a little margin in your life, but this is for each of us. It's for our, our students, all right? It's for our kids as well. This is God's mission for our church. And so for over the last few years, we've been doing the best to ask ourselves, like, how do we obey Jesus then and make disciples? Like, how do we live this out? And the answer that we found the most helpful is to look at the life of Jesus, to study the way he lived and how he used his time. And what we find in Jesus is that over the course of a few years, he led his disciples disciples, if you would, down a pathway of sorts that consisted of at least several different steps. And so we want to follow his model, and we want to pattern all of our ministry after his. Let's quickly review this pathway together. First, we want everyone to see that there's a place to connect in community at Genesis, all right? That's what we want and desire for everyone here, for every person to develop a few close relationships with this church family. Jerry talked about this last week. If you missed that message, you need to go check it out on our website. But secondly, we want to see everyone encounter Jesus. All right, we'll talk more about that today. The third major step that we want to see everyone take is to learn to follow Jesus. All right, and so our hope and prayer is that everyone would learn to follow Jesus and develop a close, personal relationship with God. That's next Sunday for us. But, but just as Jesus didn't stop with an invitation to follow him, uh, we're not going to do that either because about halfway into his ministry, Jesus said to his disciples, Follow me, and I will teach you how to fish for people. And so it was at this point in Jesus' ministry that he began teaching his disciples how to invest in and multiply their lives and others. And we want to do the same. We believe that's the most effective way for us to help people find their way back to God is to make disciples. And so we desire, we hope, what we want to see God do in our church is help every Christ follower learn to multiply their lives by relationally investing 
his or her life into a few individuals. And so again, that's our hope and prayer for everyone here. And so that's the pathway, all right, that we're referring to. And this is on our website, or you can pick up a copy of it outside on the counter here in the lobby as you're leaving today. We just want the pathway to be a visual illustration for us of the mission and model of Jesus. And the exciting part is this, everybody can do it. All right, every single one of us can do this, and so we want to follow the pathway together and together live out God's mission for our lives and for our church. Now, let's also acknowledge that we realize that not everyone is at the same place on this pathway, on this spiritual path of sorts, and Jesus helped everyone regardless of where they were in their spiritual walk and so to take the next step on the pathway, and so we want to do the same. And uh, as, we, as we enter into this third week of the pathway, today we're going to take a look at a very and extremely important step, and that is the step of encountering Jesus. And we chose the image of the cross for this step because that makes the most sense because the cross for 2,000 years now has represented God's greatest act of love for each of us in the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. And so the cross for us represents salvation. Uh, the cross represents forgiveness of sins that is available to every single person person here today. We sometimes call it the gospel. The word gospel just means good news. All right, it's the gospel of Jesus or the good news of Jesus. And there are a variety of different passages in the Bible that we could turn to that you can use to explain the good news. Today, I'm going to turn to with you a parable in Luke chapter 15 that we sometimes refer to as the parable of the lost son. Now, before we get there, here's what, here's what I hope for and what I've been praying for today and others too. I've been praying, first of all, that if you're a follower of Jesus, like if you've trusted Christ with your life, if you have a moment that you can look back to when you made a decision like that, I'm praying that one of two things will happen for you today. That first of all, that the Lord will just use today's message to encourage you, all right, to remind you of his great and his deep love for you. But secondly, I hope and pray that the Holy Spirit will compel you to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others if you're not already doing that or if you are, that that fire will just get stoked and is burning even hotter to share your life and your faith with others. And I'll give you a heads up right now at the very end of our service today, we're gonna give you the opportunity to write down the names of one or two people in your life that maybe you know that don't have a relationship with Jesus, all right, but maybe someone that you'd love to share the good news with or somebody you've been sharing the good news with and so you wanna see them encounter Jesus. But let me also add this, that if you're here this morning and you don't consider yourself a Christian yet, you've never made the decision to trust Christ, I just hope you know that this message is for you as well. And as you listen today, my prayer is that today might be the day you remember for the rest of your life. Sunday, September 22nd, the day I prayed and asked Christ to be my Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of my sins. Today could be the day for you, for you and, and maybe the moment, the greatest decision and choice that you've ever made. So before we go any further, let's pray. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. Uh, we thank you for this church, Lord. I, I love this church. I'm so thankful to be a part of it. I love what you're doing here and what you're doing through each of us as we're just seeking to trust you with every part of our lives. And uh, Father, we invite you into this place today. We are giving you this time and space, Lord, to do your work in us and, and through us. And so um, we're just giving you permission this morning and uh, praying, Father, that as you know every life, that you will do what you and only you can do. 
And so, Lord, I give you my body, I give you my words this morning, and just ask and pray, Lord, that you would speak through me, that you would be glorified in it as you use this time for each of us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, Luke 15, if you've got a Bible, uh, page 730, if you're using one of the Bibles around the room, these words are on the screen as well. In Luke 15, uh, Jesus uh, is with a group of people, and he's going to tell them a parable. Now, what's a parable? A, a parable was a story that teachers often told in order to drive home a point, or as my Sunday school teacher, Mrs. McCall, used to say, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, and so that's what Jesus Jesus is doing here, and honestly, Luke 15 is one of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible as it paints a vivid picture of what our God is really like. Luke 15, starting in verse 11, this is what we read. Jesus said to them, there was a man who had two sons, and I think if you and I are listening with Jesus in this particular moment, you can picture that. Okay, we got a man with two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. There wasn't anything more deeply disrespectful, more callous than a, that a son could do than ask of his father than to ask for his share of the inheritance. And the people listening to this particular parable knew that, all right? They would be nodding their heads in agreement. And, and so in essence, here's what the younger son is doing. He is saying to his father, I wish you were dead that rather than have a relationship with you, I'll just take my money instead, but you are dead to me. I don't want anything to do with you any longer. And just like that, the father gives him what he wants and he watches as his son walks out the door and on his way to be his own authority in life. Friends, this is the fundamental nature of sin. All right, this is a great example of what sin is. Sin is selfishly turning from God and choosing to go your own way that you are choosing your own path. And what we believe is this, that God is the author and the creator of all of life, that we were created to live under his authority. But what do we do? We wanna make our own calls. We wanna choose our own way. We wanna go our own direction. We think it will be better. And so the son in Jesus' story is saying just that. I wanna be my own boss. Like living with you and around you in this home is too claustrophobic. Like I gotta get out. I gotta have my own space. And so he's off. And here's the thing, you know, like the son in this story, and it's in your notes today, we've all turned away from God. Uh, what, what Jesus is trying to illustrate here, what we need to understand is, this is my story. Like, this is each of our stories. And sure, it may look different in each of our lives, but in some way, shape, or form, we've all been guilty of doing this with God. Like, we think we know what's best. We, we believe there's got to be a better plan, and it's called, it's called sin, and we're all guilty of it. Uh, the Apostle Paul describes sin like this in Romans 3.23. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's what Jesus is illustrating here with this, this young man. And let's just, well, let's carry on and see how this works out in his life. Verse 13, Jesus says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Jesus says, this son set off for a distant country. 
Think Vegas, all right? And nothing against the people that live in Vegas, but the point is this. I mean, this son goes out. He blows it all on sex and drugs and rock and roll. Not that there's anything wrong with rock and roll, but, uh, you know, again, there's a severe famine also that Jesus describes that didn't help, and eventually it got so bad that the son turns to the pigs, and for the Jews of Jesus' day, like, the pigs were bad enough, right? They had nothing to do with pigs, but to feed them or to hunger for the same food that a pig would is what you would call, we would call today, hitting rock bottom. I mean, this young man has hit the lowest of lows. And Jesus says, after he had spent everything, he began to be in need. It's Jesus' way of saying there's more than a spiritual hunger, or excuse me, there's more than a physical hunger here. This is more of a spiritual hunger in this man's life. Like at the very core of his being, simply put, like he's desperate. He is empty. He's dissatisfied. And when you think about it, that's what sin does. I mean, that's what sin results in over time for, for any of us. Like our, our sin leads to brokenness and death. Like our sin, no matter what it is, for each of us, it leads to brokenness and death. And one of the, the gospel tools, the good news tools that we've used over the past years to kind of describe the story of God and what he's done for us in Jesus Christ is something that we call the three circles. Uh, and it's a tool used by the North American Mission Board or developed by them. And I've personally used this tool with others. I know some of you have used this tool with others, but it's a great complement to this parable in Luke 15. And here's how it works. All right, if you check this out on the screen here, that in God's original design, all right, this is God's story again. He created our world to be a world of peace, of joy, of love. It was a world that was intended to be free from sin, to be free from brokenness and death and war and and a world where people would live in close uh, personal relationship, loving relationship with God and with one another. And so the question, the question that we can ask today, the question that you can ask today, regardless of where you are spiritually right now is this, like how in the world did we get from God's perfect design to the world that we find ourselves living in today? The answer is sin. It's sin. It's our own turning away from God. It's just like the younger son in the parable. Like we, it's when we selfishly insist on going our own way. And when we sin, what we're doing is we're separating ourselves from God, our source of life. And this separation, this sin, it leads to ultimately brokenness and death, both here in this life and as Jesus also taught, in eternity from God, apart from God, in hell. And so at some point, and maybe this is your story, maybe this is part of your story of coming to Christ, or maybe this is an experience that you've had before, like at some point, most of us realize we're living in a jacked up world, right? I mean, most of us realize at some point that things aren't working right, and what do we do? Well, we begin a search, don't we? When things don't add up, when things don't fulfill, we'll search for just about anything. We'll turn to just about anything to bring us satisfaction. Like Jesus said, the sun set off for a distant country. The distant country represents as far as God as we can get. And like the younger son, we find ourselves in a distant country too when we go looking to other things to do for us what only God was ever intended to do. Things like money or material things. Anybody here like me ever been guilty of searching for significance and satisfaction in something like money? Yeah. Or success or accomplishments. And maybe not just for us, but we try and do this in our kids. You know, we'll let them live it out for us. Or relationships. And we think a a spouse or a a partner will bring us life. Uh, We turn to hobbies and sports, uh, social causes, politics today uh, to fulfill us. Busyness, man, we are great at busyness in Hamilton County, right? 
And we look for so much meaning and satisfaction that some people turn to drugs and alcohol or to other things as a way of numbing the pain of this brokenness. The bad news is that none of these things can offer us the life and the satisfaction that we're ultimately searching for. I wonder what it might be for you. You know, what, what might be for you today? I mean, what, how, how do you relate with the younger son in the story, whether it's a part of your past story or maybe it's the story of where you are right now? Like how many of us have gone searching for meaning in life and the things of this world only to be left hurting and starved and unfulfilled or dissatisfied? I think we can all relate with the wayward son in one way or another. We've all wandered. We've all walked away or stormed off from God, and maybe that's where you are right now like a long way off at the end of your road or as close to rock bottom as you can get, the good news is that good things can happen in a distant country. Good things can happen in Vegas. Like life springs up here and there, anywhere, anywhere that God is able to work in those places of life where maybe we get to think, what does God think of me? Or, you know, what, what would he do with me? Let's look back to the parable again. Verse 17, it says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. He says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Notice that phrase, when he came to his senses. Like this is his aha moment. Like his struggles have him his struggles really have him thinking a little more clearly. Like he's understanding that this doesn't work. These things that I'm, I'm trying, they don't add up. And so what does he see? He sees how prideful. Uh, he sees how hurtful it was to reject his father and walk away. And so he sees his sin. He's seeing his need for, for forgiveness. You know, in the same way, our sins need to be forgiven too. Like part of turning back to God is recognizing this need. You know, that word forgiveness is just simply a mathematical term that means to cancel the debt. That's what the word forgiveness means. And so in the same way, our sin is a debt that needs to be paid. Look, look at how the Apostle Paul describes our sin again in, in Romans 6, verse 23. He says, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin, like what our sin deserves is death. And it's a death in this life. And it's a death for all of eternity in a place separated from God and others in hell. That's the bad news, all right? That's the very bad news for us of the gospel. The good news is that while the wages of sin is death, the good news is this, that the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's true. Like, this is what we believe to be true. Like, this is, this is behind everything we are seeking to do as a church, that God loves us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, as a gift to rescue us and to save us from our sin. And the great thing, you know what the great thing about gifts is you, you can't earn them. Like, the best gifts are those that are given. And that's why we embrace the promises of words like John three sixteen that read, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life with God. And, and what we know and believe as a church is that Jesus lived a sinless life on our behalf, that he turned his back on God. He didn't turn his back on God. He always obeyed God for everything, all the way to the cross, where he took your place and my place on the cross, and he died the death we deserved. So he lived the life we couldn't live, he died the death that we deserved, and then three days later, he rose from the dead. And by conquering sin, by conquering death, Jesus provided us a way out. 
He provided us a way out of, of our sin and brokenness. And, you know, some people will ask the question, well, how in the world could a loving God ever send anybody to hell? That's a great question that we need to explore on another day. I think a better question for today is, how in the world could a loving father allow his son to die for me? How could a loving God allow his son to die for me and for you? Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How does God demonstrate his love for us? What is it behind this? Christ died for us. Like that's the hope that we have, that we cling to, that Christ died for us. That's the gospel. Like that's the good news of Jesus Christ, that Christ died for us. But here's the thing. It's not enough to just know the good news, all right, to know the good news of the cross. Like we must repent and believe it for ourselves. In the parable all right, don't miss this. The younger son came to his senses, got up, and returned home. Like he went back to his father. And so with those words, Jesus is painting a picture of repentance for us. Now, the word repent means to change course. Like that's what it means, literally. It means to change course, to go back in a new direction. So in the same way, those of us who have wandered from God, much like the son, even today have the opportunity to turn back to God. But like the younger son in Jesus' parable, we too have to humble ourselves recognize and confess our sin, you know, turn back to God and seek his forgiveness. You know, that, that's the, the message that even Peter preached after Jesus ascended into heaven in Acts 2.38. Peter says, hey, you want to know what you need to do? Here's what he preached. Repent, go a new direction, make a conscious decision in your own life, and be baptized Yet every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit or the gift of God's presence in your life. And so he says you, you must repent, all right? And then you gotta go public with that decision that you made to trust Christ through baptism. Again, it's about understanding the position you are in and then heading in a new direction. That's why we can say the greatest decision you could ever make in your life is to turn and trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You know, the, the decision that I'm hoping you've made or if you haven't made that maybe you'll make today is a decision to turn and to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Do you have a moment like that? Do you have a story like that? I, again, the most important decision I've ever made in my life is to turn and to trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That is a, a hope and a gift that can never be taken away from me. Uh, it's a hope and a gift that I know many of you have received that will never be taken away from you. And it applies for now, but for all of eternity. And what's God's response to our repentance and our turning back? Well, let's look at the parable one last time to see how fa the father responds. Verse 20 says, so the boy, his son, he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a party and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. This son of mine was lost but now is found. And so they began to celebrate. I just want to make sure that you don't overlook the father's response to the son's coming home. All right, the, the embrace, if you would, the intensity of the moment initiated by Father, the Father. Friends, the, this is God's response to people who turn back to him. 
This is God's response to those of you that might make a decision like that to turn back to God today and a reminder that no one is beyond his love. All right, that's what Jesus is trying to, you know, to, to push into this story here for everyone to see that no one is beyond his love, that there is no one that is so far off. And what that means for you today is that no matter who you are, no matter what you've gone through in life, no matter decisions that you've made, no matter how bad the weekend has been for you, no matter what you've ever thought of God, no matter what you've ever said of God, he is ready for you to come home and he loves you with a deep and an intense and a passionate love. And if you've never trusted Jesus with your life before, he is ready for you to come home. John describes what Christ does for us in John 1, 12. He says, yet to all those who believe him and those who receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, when we repent and when we turn back to God, we are adopted into his family. We are, we're given new life. Uh, we're given a new identity in him. You know, and one of the things that we talk about, and you'll see this on people's shirts when they're baptized here in a couple of weeks, is that we are made alive in Jesus Christ. That when you surrender your life to him, it's like you were dead, but now you are alive. And this is illustrated in the water, that when I go under the water, it's like I'm being buried with my sins, but I'm raised up out of the water as an example of new life in him. And listen to how Jesus defined eternal life in John 17, 3. He says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so the very heart of eternal life is knowing God and relationship with him and peace with him. And this is, this is God's desire for each of us. And his desire is that we will join him in the work of others knowing the truth of this as well. Take a look at the completed image for just a moment. And I hope that maybe in some way it, it will have some significance or maybe some impact or even a, a, some clarity uh, for you today. But I mean, this is an image that represents the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. But let me just ask you this question before we close. Where are you in it? I mean, where would you put yourself in this example, this illustration today? Because the fact is, the way I see it is that there are two kinds of people living in this world today. There are those that are still living in brokenness, one, still searching for meaning and for purpose, and maybe that would describe some of you today. But the second is that there are those that are following Jesus and God's plan for their lives. And so which one best describes you? And I want to suggest that there are one of two ways that you can respond to this message this morning. The first is this. The first is that if you're not a Christian, if you've never believed in your heart or confessed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, then I, I would challenge you, I would invite you to do that today. Like, what, what would prevent you from putting that off any longer? And Paul describes that process like this in Romans 10, 9 and 10. He says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth, all right, that you profess your faith and are saved. And so after the service is over today, we're going to have a few people up front here. And uh, if you've never made a decision for Christ before and you want to make a decision like that today, we're going to be up here. And we would love for you to come forward once the service ends. We'd love to talk or pray with you, and you can share your name. And if you want to share a little bit about your story in life, you can. But if not, if you just need some help in making a decision like that, we would love to. We would love to make that decision and help you make that decision this morning and pray with you 
uh, in that. And again, we're hosting baptisms in a couple of weeks. Maybe you've got some questions about baptism. We can talk about that as well. Uh, but it'd be a great opportunity in a couple of weeks even to express your new faith by being baptized. But here's the other thing in our response today. Like if you're a follower of Jesus, I hope today has encouraged you as well. It, it has been said that, that Christians, that we need to come back to this every single day. We need to be reminded of, oh yeah, that's what Christ accomplished for me. I am changed. I am new because of Jesus Christ. Like you can never come back to this story enough when you think about it. But let me highlight one more thing in this parable. In Jesus' story, we see two images of the heavenly father or two realities, if you would. The first image is one of the father anxiously awaiting his son's return. Did you catch that detail? If not, you need to check that out this week. All right, he was anxiously waiting for his son to return. What a sobering reality of a father who has lost sons and daughters walking around this community that we live in today, all right, separated from him on a path that leads to destruction. And so that's one reality. The other reality, the second image of the father is one where the father, when he sees his son or daughter a long way off, he goes running in pursuit of them. And here's what's interesting. Our heavenly father lives with both realities every day waiting, searching for his sons and daughters. Friends, we we need to live with the same realities that God does, that there are people still a long way off, but others that God is preparing and getting them ready to come home. And I hope and pray, I think what we need God to do in our lives and in our hearts and in our church is that the lostness of people should break our hearts, that it should sober our minds, that it should move us to action. It should motivate us to think about the way that we live, the conversations we have, while we use our time and what lengths we're even willing to go to as a church. But again, there's a joyful side to this as well, and that is the possibility that no one is too far from God. There is no one in your life right now that is too far from our God, no one that is beyond his grace. Every person that is walking this planet today has an opportunity to come back to God. And you know what? You might have a part to play in that person's life and story. Because one of our highest callings in this life when we come to Jesus is a willingness to say, I'll go back out into the world now and I'm gonna go seek and save the lost, help save the lost as Jesus did and just a willingness to go into your school, a new willingness to go into your neighborhood, the places you work, even our own homes with this passion of helping people find their way back to God. Like our job as followers of Jesus, our job as a church is the mission of making disciples. And we need to tell others about the good news of Jesus. Who's that someone for you right now? Even this morning, maybe even pray, maybe you already know who it is. Are there one or two people in your life that don't yet know Jesus. But maybe God's bringing them to mind for you today, not only to pray for them, but to say, Lord, I will serve you and I will help them. I want to be a part of their lives. I want to learn how I can make a difference and be an example and share with someone else. Maybe you're ready to make a decision like that today. Here's what we're going to do. The band is coming right now and they're going to lead us in one last song. We have a couple of stations in the front of the room and one in the back. And in just a moment, as the song begins, I'm gonna invite you to get up out of your seats and come to one of these tables. There's a container of ping pong balls. And maybe grab one, maybe grab two, and maybe there's a first name of someone 
that you want to write on one of those ping pong balls and maybe even a second name on the other. Once you're finished, place those ping pong balls in the baskets on the table. We're going to do something fun with them in a couple of weeks. Let's not do it just as an exercise. Like, let's do it as a prayerful response to God today to say, I'm in. You can use me. I want to be a part of your work. I'm trusting your work in my life and for this person 